It's heart-centered work. It's not about external validation about things looking pretty for guests. It's not about complicated organizing systems that make you feel like a failure when you can't maintain it. It's about choosing how you live your life. It's about being very deliberate with the things all the way through to people that you keep in your life. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Cassidy Nacello, a certified personal coach who lives life to the fullest and inspires her clients to do the same. Today, she's here to share her experience as a gold-level certified Cone Marie Method consultant and how we can all approach spring cleaning in a way that makes our homes reflect the lives we want to live. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Cassidy, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 102 for the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hi, Cassidy. Welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Uh, thank you. It's so great to be here, Chelsea. I am so excited because you brought your KonMari, which I'm saying correctly, right? KonMari practice into life coaching. And I think so many of us became familiar with KonMari through the Netflix special and through her book. And so I'm curious, first off, how did you become an organizational expert? If someone told me that was going to be part of my career path, I would have laughed but everyone in my family would have nodded and said, yeah, that makes sense. When you go back to your childhood and you go back to that happy little place, for me, it was creating setups in my room. It was organizing, designing. It was secretly throwing out the clutter that my mom overbought at Home Goods. <laughs> no offense to Home Goods. So it is my happy place, but I had a very successful career in advertising sales and was all about making the money. But I lacked fulfillment and I had a lot of ego shedding to do. And it took me getting an MBA, getting the dream job, being at a startup, and then getting let go because hashtag startup life, the division was folded for me to really dig deep and go back to what do I actually like to do? What do I want to get into and like immerse myself in? Because it wasn't really cool new ad units for me. And so it, I was in that right, clear, no pun intended, but clear frame of mind to just be open. Just forget the ego, forget the shoulds, forget the MBA student loans. What really brings me joy? And then when I was right in this sort of exploratory state, I got an email from Marie Kondo, the founder of the KonMari Method, saying, I'm coming to New York to certify you in the KonMari Method. Like, do you want in? And I'm not one to be superstitious, but we're lucky to have a home in Woodstock, New York, a weekend place. We rented out on Airbnb. The same price that we got for the rental that weekend was the cost of her course. And I was like, well, it's a wash. So I think the big lesson for me there was like, just explore, just go and see. And then as soon as I walked out of that three-day certification course, I had my logo drawn. I had my business plan ready. I was like off to the races. And it's evolved, clearly. Absolutely. So what did you learn? What was like your big takeaway from that three-day weekend? <sighs> that I can do it. Like I've always had this entrepreneurial bug and I definitely got curious about entrepreneurship in business school, but I also know myself to be fairly risk averse. So while I had high lofty ideas, they required brick and mortar in Manhattan. 
which mm-hmm. is, you know, you can just imagine expensive. So when I thought about a service-based business, I'm like, well, that's me. I can sell myself, no overhead. I just have to build a website. I'm really good at networking. I have a sales background. And so I think it was just the belief that like, what's the worst that can happen? And it was pretty nil. I mean, I was already like, I had a runway of three months out of that last job. So I was already starting from scratch. I flirted with other jobs in my previous industry, but I just couldn't get myself excited about it. And I had to listen to that. So Cassidy, tell me about what your family looked like at that point. Were you married? Do you have kids? Oh, that's so funny. You should ask. (laughs) I had a newborn then. So I had my first child in business school while working full-time at the Atlantic running their ad sales. Don't recommend all of that at once. (laughs) That was insane, but we just do, right? Yep. And so when I was working at this startup as president of media, I got pregnant. These things happen sometimes (laughs) more quickly than you're ready for, but very blessed. And so maybe six weeks or a month after I went back from my maternity leave, and my maternity leave was like six weeks. So my baby was basically three months old when I was trying to figure all this out. And so how did that play into, you said you're kind of risk averse going out and starting a business with two little ones when you'd had fairly successful career before that. How did you make that decision? Because I realized that for me to be away from those little munchkins, it had to be worth it. Mm. I had to really like it. Okay. And so we're publishing this episode in the spring, which so many of us go through that spring cleaning bug. And I got to ask, why KonMari? What about that method is different about getting our houses organized? Because if you walk into like a bookstore, Barnes and Noble, there's a whole wall of different organizational methods and books and the rainbow method that we all saw on Netflix this year. So what is it about KonMari that spoke to you? It's heart-centered work. It's not about external validation about things looking pretty for guests. It's not about complicated organizing systems that make you feel like a failure when you can't maintain it. It's about choosing how you live your life. It's about being very deliberate with the things all the way through to people that you keep in your life. To do that, though, you have to dig deep and you have to be ready for the emotional work. And that was always the box that had to be checked with my clients before working with them. This is going to be hard. This is going to be emotional. I'm going to be right there with you. But to make this last, for this to truly be life-changing, we're emptying it all out. We're not going to just shift your clothes left and right as you have before, cherry pick the things you haven't worn in X years, you say, is your rule. And then just be on our merry way. That doesn't mean anything. Like You can do that. You've been doing that. So if you really want to have a shift in perspective and, and feel like you're living authentically and intentionally, we're emptying it out and we're going to hold every object and we're going to ask ourselves, does this, now Marie Kondo says, spark joy. You can say, does this energize me? Does this make me feel good vibes? Whatever your mantra is, whatever your question is, you got to be able to check that box. And I think similarly to, you know, we talk about emotions and money here all the time and how emotional money is. I think often with our clutter, we don't associate that there is a lot of emotion there. There's a lot of baggage in what we bring into our home and what we keep in our home. What has surprised you as you've worked with clients over the years? I'm not really surprised by anything anymore. And you know why I wasn't ever really surprised, Chelsea, is because I saw it in my mother Mm. growing up, lots of shopping bags, lots of emotional shopping, lots of things with tags, 
lot of guilt, a lot of guilt wrapped up in there, you know, and which makes letting go hard. Like this is a perfectly good, ba ba ba. I haven't even worn it. Can you believe it? And so ensues the vicious cycle of guilt, shame, and then back in the store for the quick dopamine hit. Absolutely. So the first question I want to ask is like people that are going into spring cleaning this year, and we've all been in our homes for the last year as we're listening to this. Many of us have been home. And so some of us have already started that kind of purge process, but we see a lot of different decluttering challenges that go around talking about like getting rid of one item a day or one room a week or whatever it is. And call Marie, if I'm remembering correctly, really talks about, like you said, going through every single item. So why do you think that's a better method to consider than like the really slow process? Well, it's like torturous, (laughs) the slow (laughs) process. Like, don't you deserve like the banging after? And you don't get that when you're just cleaning out one drawer at a time. You just feel like it's like one step forward, three steps back. It's just like the same, right? But you also can't, it's a great question because I think people don't realize that you really can't appreciate how much you have until it's all out. Like you need to be in shock. I'm like, are you nervous? You know, I'm like, good. (laughs) Because you need to be in shock about the volume of, with an objective, like blameless autopsy, right? No judgment. Just like, wow, that's a lot of clothes. Okay. Now you know, right? So you want to bring out the extreme so that you don't want to go there again, right? It's really hard to feel the pain if you're just slowly creep things back into your home. But when you take it all out, you're like, wow, okay, this is kind of like a lot more than I need. So we're starting this process by literally putting it all in the middle of the room. So not the whole house. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) That would be a lot of stuff. Yeah. So clothing, the beauty of this is that the process itself is organized by keeping you focused on one category at a time, because the overwhelm can set in pretty quickly, even within one category at a time. But you want to kind of set up some blinders around things that aren't in that category, because then it just becomes a big mishmash. You get overwhelmed, and then you just want to rock yourself under your desk and call it a day, right? Let's just go out the point. (laughs) So the best place to start and I've done it other ways, and I still come back to this, that this is truly the best way to start is with your own clothes. It's personal, and you have to deal with it every day. So, and boy, does that set a tone for how you feel. You know, you're opening up a closet that's either completely overwhelming, jam-packed, you don't even know what's in the back, you don't even want to know what's in the back, and all the things in your closet are saying, remember when you were in that boardroom meeting and you wore that fancy corporate suit that, oh, by the way, you're not in corporate America anymore because you're just a mom now. And remember you used to hit the clubs and like you fit in those cute little black pants. Well, that's not happening anymore. So all the little things that your things say to you, right, <laughs> are staring at you and you're just mm-hmm. trying to find the like comfy pants that you wear pretty much every day anyway, right? That's not really a fun way to start the day. But now post Konmari clean out, Imagine you open your closet, everything fits. If there are a few things that don't, you'll be motivated, not discouraged to get back into them. You see space between the hangers. You can imagine your day. You can find the workout clothes and stay focused on your goals because they're accessible and there's just a lightness. It's kind of like how you feel when you go on vacation and you put your things away in the hotel room closet. It's just the things you love. Why can't you feel that way in your own home? So that's just like a taste of the clothing category. But after that, we could spend a whole hour just on clothing. 
but you shift then to books and then papers, which most of which belong in the recycling bin, if not the shredder. And then it, you get into the miscellaneous, which is called in Japanese kimono, which is essentially like everything else. But even within that category, there are subcategories like electronics, cooking things, food items, toys, and breaking those down and fitting those into your schedule. The whole idea is to be deliberate about this. Marie Kondo calls it a tidying festival. The idea is, and this is, that's why spring's so great, right? It's like tidying festival, map out over a few weeks or a month or whatever you think you need, big chunks of time to focus one category at a time because you want to feel and you deserve that feeling of being finished so you can actually sit and enjoy it. And then the last category, which is really important to mention this, is the sentimental category. Now, you're going to come across things that are going to trigger you emotionally, starting with clothing, right? Maybe you have a sweater of your late mother's or whatever it is. Set those things that are triggering aside. Create a sentimental box and just put it in the box because you will get tripped up and derailed and then go back to that glass of wine every time you feel like you have to make a decision on something that's really emotional, so the idea is to keep pace and momentum and have this sense of gusto. And only then will you feel like you've built up the emotional muscles and readiness to really address the harder things. Plus, you'll notice you'll have a lot more space in your home to actually pull those sentimental things out and put them on a shelf that is freed up so you can enjoy it. Well, my favorite thing to do is to create like a trophy shelf essentially in your closet. Like it's like your diary it lives in your closet. It's like Maybe things you wouldn't want to like display in the living room, but like an accomplishment, an achievement, a vision board, because you've made space for that to honor yourself. So let's talk about the tidying festivals for a second, because I have seen this play out with friends and I can imagine it so easily where, okay, we're going to do the clothes. I've set aside Saturday afternoon. I pull everything out into the middle and I start to get overwhelmed. And then my kid comes in and asks for something or it gets, there's like a million ways you get pulled away. And then all of a sudden that pile of clothes has been sitting in the middle of your room for like three weeks, right? And so how do we deal with that overwhelm and that distraction when it comes up, especially for moms who might only have 45 minutes at a time to be dealing with this? Yeah. So I tell my like self-guided clients or for working virtually and then they do tidying in between our sessions, do the best to time chunk be deliberate. Don't pick a week that's crazy, but life is crazy when you have kids. There's no off week. But if you really want to commit to this and reap the rewards, get creative. What can you do? Can you get a babysitter? Can you get some in-laws or someone to help out? And yeah, accept that you may have to live with the mess, the piles a little bit longer, but give yourself a hard deadline. What motivates you? Like what's your carrot going to be? The biggest piece that I need to mention is before all of this, you need to build that vision because without that, like, where are you going with this? What's the point? You're going to like peter out, right? So including the family on that vision so you can get support from your partner, even from your kids of what do I want my day to look and feel like? I do a lot of that journaling work with clients. How do I want to feel when I get dressed? What do I want it to feel like when I'm picking my mug? Do I have to move around 15 mugs I don't even like? What do I want it to look like when I'm choosing healthy food? Am I being bombarded by unhealthy food in the pantry, right? What do I want it to look like when I sit down at my desk? All the way through, you get the point to when I close my eyes at night. Then to collectively build that vision with your family, like what do we want to do more of? Do we want to play more games? Okay, well, great. I love board games too, but the table's never cleared. 
So that's the carrot for keeping the table clear. Do we want to get outside more? Great. Isn't it annoying how mom's always like cleaning and we're always cleaning and I'm nagging you throughout the weekend? Wouldn't it be fun to just go have fun during the weekend? So what do we need to do during the week so that we're not constantly putting the house back together every weekend? Building that visual is key and will help keep your family supporting you and you got and involving them. Absolutely. And so there's another stage that I've seen happen, and it's happened in our house for sure, where we start one of these processes and then it becomes, all right, just get the big black trash bag, right? Like it's just all going out. And then all of a sudden you're buying things back. And so being sustainable is something that's really important in our family. And we want to make mm-hmm. sure sometimes we end up keeping things that we're not sure if we need because we don't want to have to buy it again and cause some kind of issue. And so how do you deal with making sure you don't just mass get rid of stuff? that you're then going to need again. I see that. I've had to slow clients down who are just like, F it. (laughs) Just go, I'll just buy it again if I need to buy it again. And I too care a lot about our planet and it pains my heart when it's almost like flippant just to get it done. So slowing down, like taking some deep breaths. And then I feel like we know, like, will I really actually use this? I think we know when we're making up a hundred excuses, like maybe that seventies party will circle back around next year. Probably not. Or if it's a seventies, like get up that you love. Yeah. Keep it, rock it. But, um, or you enjoy looking at it, keep it. The point isn't to get rid of things just to get rid of them. The point is to be very deliberate about what you have. What people don't realize is that even if they have three hammers, there's probably in five different black holes in the house and they're still going out and buying another one, or they're still buying more scotch tape, or they're buying another Mrs. Myers cleaner because they haven't pulled and called all the cleaning products together and made a big pile and said, oh, wow, we already have like 10 of these. It's very hard what we're up against in the stores, on the way out, all the things. Remember, don't you need this? Don't you need that? Right? In fact, we're being more wasteful when we're not aware of what's in our house. So I understand that maybe there is that one thing that you you let go of and you might have to replace. But you know in your heart of hearts if you're likely going to use it again or if you're holding on to it for reasons like guilt or blame or shame. And speaking on that sustainability piece, as we do choose the things that don't have a place in our home, right, that are causing clutter or just don't matter to us anymore, what are some good ways to dispose of that stuff without it ending up necessarily in a landfill? Yeah, that is one of the biggest challenges. And it's getting harder, I have to say, because even like China doesn't want our old clothes back. They're like, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> we don't got any more space for them. Like, don't send it back. So it it does require that extra leg to be deliberate about where you bring things. I try to ask my clients to do it for their own things rather than just put it all in my car because I want them to learn where things can go responsibly, right? So is there a women's shelter, right? I called and I was like, do you need little kid toys? And they're like, yes, but it wasn't advertised on their site. So it does require a little work. You know, they're the obvious places like the Goodwill, but I try to go more hyperlocal, Even if it's like curb alert, which I think is fairly national now, right? To just get someone to come by and pick it up. Like, great. It does make the letting go process a lot easier. But do schedule that letting go piece into the calendar and treat it like a doctor's appointment that you won't miss. Like, go to the electronic recycling place or go to the consignment shop. Whatever you decide to do, do map that out or else you're going to be sitting with piles and bags of things you let go of. And probably going back in those piles to rethink some of those things, which is the most painful thing you could do to yourself. 
Absolutely. We're big fans of our Buy Nothing group. I don't know if you have the uh, by Oh, you. great. Yep. Just mm-hmm. been a really great resource of somebody else who just needs it, right? And then they just come pick it up for your house is always a nice thing. But textiles are really tough because even just there's so much, everyone throws away so many clothes. Yeah, there's a, like the fast fashion is just really hard on the environment. So I do my best to shop with brands that are like B Corp or like brands like Eileen Fisher that do their own recycling. And I rather spend more money on fewer things that last responsibly created companies. So good for thought. Absolutely agree. Those B Corps are, are an excellent sign of people that are, are being environmentally or just socially conscious, which is excellent. So Cassidy, once we've done this process, which is obviously takes some time, how do we make sure that stuff doesn't sneak back in? Going back to that intentionality, that vision is important. Like whether it's a mantra or it's front and center or it's a family mission of like what the higher goals are. I mean, like any goal setting, right? How do you not relapse, right? How do you remember your goals? That's for one, why it's so important to have that drastic before and after. Otherwise it feels just like, moderately better, incrementally better, but for it to feel like amazing, like your whole home feels really different. That is the bar. And yeah, you're going to fluctuate, but at least you can get it back. Like the sort of the baseline, right? Whereas if it's just like this corner, you'll be right back there in a second with the mess. So I think that's really important. And I think a lot of the work is like, okay, once I've decluttered the home, now what? Sometimes it's a revision or a set of new goals. Like if I'm not spending this much money on clothes, what is my budget? Like, what is the decluttering extension beyond the home look like? And what are the goals associated with that? And that brings us really nicely into, as you did this work, you shared with me that you started to realize that KonMari and our organization, Our Clutter, goes so much beyond our stuff in our house. How did you end up developing that this affected our whole lives? And this is really what drove me to coaching. It was so many moments where I'm sitting on the edge of the bed with my client after so many hours together. And on one hand, there was relief and joy from like all the new space. But then on the other hand, it was like kind of a scary moment. It was like a now what moment? Like, how, how do I fill this this emotional space with something that serves me? What does that look like? And so that's when that application of, pulling everything out, looking at what serves you, what doesn't serve you, letting go and having that vision, that framework is true for all things. It's like, okay. And that's when a lot of my clients had the mental space, but with some guided focus to think about, is my career fulfilling? Do I like how I spend my free time? Are these people in my life serving me? Is Are they healthy friendships or are they toxic? Are there some people I need to let go of and come more out of my life, right? So when you have that space in your home and you feel in control, you can look up and out on the horizon and and get a better sense of like how this can serve you in other areas of life that are nagging at you. So I want to get into how this plays into making decisions about your career specifically. But before we do, let's take a moment to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Did you know that banks make over 35 billion, with a B, dollars a year from fees? Overdraft fees, maintenance fees, ATM fees. The average American pays over $100 a year in bank fees, but not when they use Chime. I'll be honest, I'm a little obsessed with our Chime accounts. The Chime app has no hidden fees, has over 38,000 fee-free ATMs, helps you get paid two days earlier with direct deposit, and helps you grow your savings with an optional high-yield savings account. And that's just some of the benefits. 
I love that every time I swipe my Chime debit card, I get an instant notification on my phone with a cute little emoji telling me how much was spent and how much is left in my account. It makes staying aware of our spending so much easier. Head to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Chime and make the switch today to a bank account that has your back. Chime is a financial technology company. Banking services provided by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. So Cassidy, as we're doing that self-reflection and really looking at our lives, how does that play into making a decision about your career and discovering if that is really bringing you fulfillment? What types of questions are we asking to bring awareness to that? Really, it's a simple question, but like, what makes you just forget time? What are you doing when you're just forgetting time? Like, what gets you into that right brain, zen, happy, sage state? Because I think we've just forgotten. We've just, especially like working mom, it's just go, 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 go. So it takes getting into that calm space. First of all, being comfortable with the space. Just like it's hard for someone to sit and meditate because it's like, I got to do it. Being calm with the new space in your home, being calm with the space in your head to explore and exploring with a sense of curiosity, not have to, should, anxiety, but a place of curiosity. And I think that's where you're going to find your path more easily. That's the first step is seeing what brings you joy. And then looking at your talents. Like, I think we don't even acknowledge our accomplishments. Again, because a lot of us in our society, hyperachievers. So it's like the, the goalpost keeps getting moved. And that was true for me in my career. And sometimes it takes like, hopefully not for everybody, but it takes like a whole meltdown situation <laughs> to be like, okay, I can only eat, pray, love so long before I can find myself. Like, let's get on with it. So what is your mini version of eat, pray, love? Is it going for some more hikes, getting outside, eating healthily and just tweaking some habits and trusting that it will present itself if you're in that calm state of mind? And you did go through this, right? You mentioned at the beginning before you took the three-day course, like not being risk averse, not knowing if you could do this. And so how much of it when you work with clients is really self-confidence and self-trust that we're trying to develop. That's it. That's it's a hundred percent. Because as you know, coaching yourself, Chelsea, like we all have our answers, but we've just layered so many defense mechanisms over each other that we we really forget where our answers are, or even how to tap them. So I think self-trust is there and and we have experiences that can show us that, but maybe we need to be asked to be reminded of them. Like, when did you feel really just in the zone and you forgot time because you were so happy in the moment? Or what did you love doing as a child? Or what was a moment at work that did make you feel really rewarded or at home as a mother and a wife, right? It's there, but we just forget to remind ourselves about it. And sometimes we hear, unfortunately, that people, women don't have supportive partners as they're trying to make big life changes. And so I'm curious, as you went through this big change, working at a startup to starting your own organization business, how was your partner supportive of you through that journey? I mean, thank God. Great. To say like, you know, we, not I, we just dropped six figures on business school. I went from making well into six figures as an executive, but now I'm going to like help people tie to their closets for like $100 an hour. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I know we have two mortgages, but let's <laughs> figure it out. But I have to say where his support came from was, I think, a couple places. One is like, I'm very lucky. He really cares about my happiness. He's probably also aware of the impact on the family, right? My mama happy, right? <laughs> and he had trust in me to figure it out. And it has been 
an evolution, right? Yeah. From building up an organizing <laughs> business and then only recently saying, you know what? This isn't it for me. This has become a tool that's really important to me. But those conversations on the edge of the bed with the client, with peers, I really want to be able to hold the appropriate space for these clients, not give them advice like a friend, but really hold space for them to figure this out on their own with my support. I'd really like to get certified as a coach. He says, okay. And so here I am today and, and off to the races and success is starting to come. But really, I think my trajectory is showing and I have the trust in my future success because I do feel sage in this work. I do feel in flow and in the zone. And that gets back to like, you know, the whole concept of work-life balance. And I just, what I realize is it doesn't exist when you are doing something that you love. What exists is you're in the zone and nothing else exists. So great. That means you're in the right place and doing what you're meant to be doing, but you have to create the counterbalance, which means feeding the meter, high quality time with the family. It may not be an all day thing or broad swaths of time, but it's hyper-focused. So it's really that motto of love the one you're with. And so that's very KonMari in the sense that you are clearing the decks for focus and you're just present in the moment. And that's a beautiful thing that your husband was supportive and continues to be supportive. But I'm sure you've worked with clients sitting on the edge of the bed that don't have that support. And so if you're feeling the need for a big change, whether it's just completely conmaring your house or changing your career and your partner doesn't seem receptive, what are some ways we can approach that conversation productively? If the spouse isn't supportive, I think it helps the partner to, if we're assuming we're talking about a woman, to really find that inner confidence and to do her own groundwork, right? Before maybe publicizing her plans really doing the work and putting pen to paper and getting clear on doing the research and coming up with a plan so that when she does present it, it's with confidence because she's got the research under her belt. Absolutely. And where else can you get support? Finding other people, if not in your partner, unfortunately, if that's not there, where else in your life? Because it is hard to go it alone. And as you know, entrepreneurship can be a lonely journey. So if it's joining a group or finding other entrepreneurs in your area, there's so much out there you know, for example, Hey Mama is a fantastic organization for working women to help guide you along the way and get you the resources you need. Absolutely. And so obviously this is Smart Money Mamas. We talk a lot about personal finance here. And so how can we bring the KonMari philosophy into how we handle our finances? It's so funny. It always starts with the papers with clients because I think that's like in your face what's happening financially. And I find, and I was one of them, and I'm still working on this. I'm not like, I know all the numbers and like, just quiz me and I can tell you all about our, but I did pull my head out of the sand finally, but it was hard because I think just generationally, a lot of women, like we saw our dads manage the finances and our moms go shopping. That was my modeling as a kid. And so I think step one is like knowing, and I'm sure you talk about this. I know you do. Like, what was it like growing up? Right. And for me, it was both my parents work, but my mom was a psychotherapist. She brought home nice checks from her clients. She just handed them to my dad and then she went shopping. So she was a spender. My dad was more avoidant. So he just put the money in the bank and just, you know, mm -hmm. chipped away and had his patients as a psychiatrist and his full-time job on top of that. So I think understanding what the modeling is, is really important. 
taking your head out of the sand and just getting really clear about what the numbers are. And I know, Chelsea, you have so many tools to help your community with that. So I think looking for tools that feel like manageable, not overly complicated, I think is really important. So the whole concept of simplifying is really important. Like if all your money feels fragmented and just like scattered, how are you going to be able to track that? So while I'm not a financial expert, but seeing what you can consolidate, what you can simplify, what you can categorize, and in a way that feels like palatable to actually look at and keep track of, and then with some goals in place. And so as you've pulled your head out of the sand, how do you and your partner manage your money now? We have a weekly financial meeting on the calendar. Do we meet weekly? We've got two kids. (laughs) Like toddlerville right here. But at least two to one times a month, we sit down and look at it. Or if I'm just feeling anxious, because I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. And like, we're talking about making decisions about a vacation. I'm like, can we do this? And then he's like, well, let's just look at the numbers, right? I am lucky he does that for his, you know, profession. But having a clear budget sheet, he can bring me into it and help me make sense of it. And then to see how my work as an entrepreneur is, is affecting the budget is really motivating for me. Like, oh, so if we want that thing, like, okay, I'll just like kick it up a notch, right? And that's inspiring for me. But locking that meeting on the calendar, and not only is it just for finances, but like, what other housekeeping things do we need to talk about that are really kind of just like annoying? Make sure like we have a little glass of wine and just like we're in a good sage state, right? So like Sunday evening. And then that way, it's not like we're in the staircase saying like, did you sign up for that thing? All those like little annoying conversations. It's just much nicer to contain it into that like meeting that we have. I love that concept. The idea of the weekly money meeting is something we recommend with our audience all the time, right? And especially making it a cozy, comfortable space. It just brings the right energy to the meeting. And it means that Those conversations in the hallway that cause so much stress for people, especially people who need a warning before they're ready to talk about money that can like come to the right state of mind, it lets you put those on pause for that meeting. And so that's fantastic. And you're right, that cozy space. And I have to say, Chelsea, like I am still working on this. I still get a little anxious when we sit down, like I'm going to get in trouble. You know, like I went, first of all, to the mall since like it's been years for COVID aside, just like I don't go to the mall. And but I needed a couple things and I like probably bought a couple more things than I said I was going to buy. And I just felt like, like I did something wrong, even though it was like two cotton dresses from Uniqlo. And it, it was like, it's not like I was like, oh, and I happened to buy a Louis Vuitton, like, <laughs> but I still had that, like, am I in trouble? And that's like watching my mom hide shopping bags. So it, it takes some time and some real self-love to just accept where you're at. And that brings up another question. I'm always so curious about how other people do this, but how do you and your husband deal with spending money? Do you guys have separate money set aside for each of you to do with what you want? Yeah. Yeah. We each have our own budget. Uh And so even though you were spending within your budget, you get some anxiety that you're going to get in trouble? Well, because making sure that I am on budget is key and also reconfiguring the budget, right? Because that changes sometimes based on like light circumstances. So He wasn't working for much of COVID and we were dealing with that as a family. Like, so I'm an entrepreneur and he lost his job right at the beginning of COVID and it was months. And luckily that Airbnb like really covered our tails. But that said, the budget was basically like, just we can't spend anything really. And I have to say, I actually work better in extremes. It's like, oh. 
okay, I'm like not opening the wallet. But it's the gray area where I personally struggle when it's like it's opened up back up a little bit. For me, that's like, that's how I am with sugar. Like, there's no one cookie for me, right? So how do I set up my own boundaries so that I feel like I can honor it when it's not necessarily the extreme of don't spend anything? When I used to make a lot of money and had no kids, it was spend whatever you want. So that managing the in-between is new territory for me. So it's it's a constant needing to remind myself, like, where am I at on my budget for the month? <laughs> He's always under budget. It is interesting how many of us are more comfortable living in scarcity than that moderation level, right? And it's easy to manage your money when you have a lot of it, when you're just budgeting like, oh, how much am I spending <laughs> this month? Like when you said before you had kids. But yeah, that middle ground, that middle ground's hard. Yeah, because that sense of entitlement can creep right back in. Like, I want it and I should get it. Absolutely. Awesome. So Cassidy, how are you guys talking to your kids about money and organization and all of these things in a very consumer society, right? We see so many people, ourselves included, that all of a sudden have a million kids toys and we don't even know like where they came from or why we bought them. I love that you asked this. And where is your course, if it exists, tell me on like how to talk to kids about money. Because so we have a six-year-old and the other day he said, why aren't we rich like such and such friend? <laughs> oh, that's a tough one, you know? And I said, well, what do you want that she has? And she, well, I mean, she literally has all the toys. And then we talk about like what being rich means and that there's different kinds of being rich. And it's really hard to tell a six-year-old who just wants the things that like you can be rich with love. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got that. I, I know <laughs> So I, I just tried to get curious about what he was really asking for and what he felt like was missing from his life versus like why they have more money than we have. I mean, and I also don't want him to think it's bad for two parents to work full time or all the time or, you know, but mama chose a career that she can be with you because I don't want him to be modeled thinking well, that's a bad thing. It's just different. So I try to frame it like I chose this work because I love it and it offers me flexibility. And we have a very comfortable home and we're very blessed to have really two homes. So, but I kind of get stumped after that. And I was just asking my husband, like, well, he's got a piggy bank. They asked for toys. So to really not randomly buy them toys just because, but like to be deliberate about it, not that we're stingy with them, like there's the appropriate times, but how to be more cognizant of like, he wants the comic book thing that he passed in the store. So then what, what is in your piggy bank and maybe asking him to take a look and count and that could be kind of step one. But what do you think? Because you're the expert. <laughs> so we actually do have a financial literacy activity pack for kids. It's designed from anywhere from three to 12. So you should definitely check that out. It's different games where we talk about, I mean, these are the conversations, this age five to seven or eight, where they start to really ask intelligent questions about money and not ones that are easy to answer. Like, why are we rich? Why are we poor? Are we rich? This is a question that we hear all the time. And how do we answer that in a way that's appropriate? And so defining what rich means, including rich in love, including rich in other things, and explaining that there will always be people with more than you or less than you. But it sounds like your son is asking, how do I get that toy? In which case, I think he's ready. And we started actually with both of our boys at three with three piggy banks. So they have a giving jar, a saving jar, and a spending jar. And so their uh, money gets split it. up. 
And so their spending jar is they walk by the comic book in the store or whatever. And we say like, okay, how much is in your wallet? Their savings jar is very specific of at this age, they can't, saving for college just feels like you're stealing their money from them. They can't process 10 years in advance, right? It's just not something they can do. So instead it's saying, okay, your friend who's rich, quote unquote rich, has that toy. What could we do to buy that toy? And letting him go into problem solving mode, letting him create a savings chart to save up and buy it for himself if he really wants Mm. it, that type of thing. And then the giving really helps with the rich question of like, there will always be people with less than us and how do we give back and support? And Mm -hmm. that's really tapping into what matters to them at six. So do they love animals? Do they, you know, what is their thing that they're connected to? They love art. And could you find an organization where they donate art supplies to underprivileged Mm -hmm. schools? And so they save up their own little bits of money to donate. But they're really powerful lessons you can teach in this age. And simply the fact that you guys are having conversations about being intentional about it is the mindset lessons they need at this age. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. I can't wait to check out your packet. And I'm like, okay, three piggy banks, let's do it. (laughs) It's a lot of fun for them. And it's really good for money math too, right? They have to count out what goes into each jar. And it's just, it's a very helpful experience. And where does allowance live with that? If like, you're just doing what you should be doing as a member of this family, like clearing the table, where does allowance come into that? Cassidy, you've touched on such a, a huge debate in the personal finance world. Sorry. So no, no, it's it's really interesting. So some people say that you should be teaching your kids that you work for money for a young age. And so those people will pay, you know, there's people that call it a commission or a paycheck that they get every week instead of an allowance and they have to do certain chores to get those things. I am in the camp of if you live in this house, you there are things that you are expected to do as a member of our household, regardless of, you know, you're not getting compensated for those things. It's just the things that you do, especially for me. I'm raising two young boys. And so I do not want them to think <laughs> it's like, no, no, you just help. Like, that's just what happens. Now, my husband's a stay at home dad. So they get that message loud and clear. Like, but for us, we look at it as allowance is a tool to teach them about money and to give them autonomy with money. So they get allowance no matter what, they get it once a week number of dollars based on their age. So George gets $3 a week, Hank gets $5 a week, and we spread it out into their jars. And then we make sure they always have a goal. So above their savings jar and above their giving jar, we have charts that they're saving for at any given time. And when they put a dollar in, they color something in and they they move forward. But if people have different opinions. I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. I think we have a whole episode. We'll link mamas that sure. you're listening about how to do allowance properly. And Cassidy, I'll send you that link as well. But it's mostly a game of consistency of like too often parents start allowance and then the kid gets in trouble and so they take allowance away or they like don't have money for a couple weeks and so they don't do it. And then kids build a lot of mistrust around money and then that's not helpful. So there has to be a lesson there. Mm -hmm. We've really switched who's answering. (laughs) I know. I got excited. It's perfect. Back to you. I want to know about the toys, right? And so if you are a household, it sounds like you have always been a very organized, intentional person with what's in your house. But if you're someone who is more like me, who now has like, my kid has 47 puzzles and we want to start getting rid of them, how do you communicate that with your kids that we're going to pare down? We're going to simplify. Yeah. Populating the language with letting go and What are you really enjoying now? I think it's important to do earlier because kids can get very territorial about their stuff. If they're old enough to notice that things just go away and disappear, that's going to be really hard for you when you do try to include them on letting go. And I can say that's true from experience with my older one. I don't know if I created a hoarder, but I have concerns sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And so 
I get it at like three and under, maybe two and under, depending on what your three-year-old's like. Mm-hmm. You're not going to ask permission. But three and up, three, four, like five, definitely might like they need to be involved. They need to have a sense of ownership, just like you want them to have a sense of ownership to take care of their toys and to put them away. They need to have a sense of ownership about when they're ready to let go of them. And you have to honor that and meet them when, where they're at. Now, helping build that vision is really helpful, right? So what would it be like if you could find all your toys? So it really starts with what do you want to keep versus what do you want to let go of? It's just a much more palatable question for grownups too. So when you do empty out the cabinets and the drawers and the shelves, what you're doing is you're building their favorite toy store with their favorite toys. And you're just putting back the favorites. You're starting with their favorites and then the other ones that they really like. And then what's kind of left on the floor are the meh toys that they didn't necessarily play with. It becomes much easier to let go of those toys when everything is just how they want it. Because you know kids like their setup. And kids do really crave and want order. So when they know where to find their things, they're pretty stoked about it. So to just jam the rest back in doesn't really sit well with most kids. Sometimes you might have to find a compromise. Like, okay, I understand you're not ready to put to let go of these things, but you don't actually want them here What if we put them and looked at them at a later date and really assess whether or not you're playing with that? It's a little bit of a band-aid, but you just got to know your kid and what the deal is. Helping them be a part and bringing them to where you're going to donate it or watching someone pick it up with excitement from Curb Alert or whatever is also really helpful. I try not to say you'll get a new this when we get rid of this because that's just sort of feeding the cycle. But trying to find some reward that'll that'll motivate them, you know, like anyone may need a carrot too. Absolutely. All right, Cassidy, what last pieces of advice do you have for moms that are starting their spring cleaning routine? Be empathetic with yourself. This is not meant to be a judgment exercise. How did I get here? Why did I buy that? That is a miserable way to go. If you build that vision, it's all about future focus, about what do I want life to look like and how can I make life at home more enjoyable and where can I reduce friction and what would it be like if I could find my keys every day to get really excited about it, to build yourself up by making that long list of all the good things that can come from it and just forgiving yourself as you go through things and letting go with a sense of gratitude. All right, Cassidy, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Okay. What is one business goal you're working on right now? Mm, working in corporate environments. Ooh, what, what would that look like? I'm working on a framework and getting certified in a framework called positive intelligence, which is a a fantastic way to essentially identify the negative voices. Shiraz, right? Yep. Identify the negative voices that are sabotaging and hijacking your mindset. Money is one of them. Self-command, knowing how to call them out and then shift into your more sage brain, which is your happy place, the place where you make really thoughtful, zen-focused decisions that serve you better and taking that into the corporate environment. That sounds really cool. Good luck with that. Thank you. Cassie, where can people follow up with you, learn about your coaching services and everything you do? Oh, thank you so much. Cassidy at CassidyNacello.com. My Instagram handle is at CassidyNacello, or feel free to just email me, Cassidy at CassidyNacello1s2ls.com. 
Awesome. We will have links and to all of that in the show notes. Cassidy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Chelsea. It was so much fun talking to you. Mamas, what a cool opportunity it must be to work with Cassidy. She has such sage advice, and I love how she works Cone Marie into your whole life. If you're looking for life coaching support, I highly recommend searching her out. We'll have links to her website in the show notes of this episode. As always, I've wrapped up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Cassidy for you to take into your own spring cleaning plans. One, building a vision is key to staying committed. I loved that Cassidy called this out because I think sometimes we forget. And she advised us to ask, how do you want to feel when you sit down to eat, pick up your mug in the morning, or want to sit down to play a game with your family? What do you want more of? How can you create space or systems to make that happen? That is what we're organizing for. Not to look like our home is out of home and gardens, but to make sure that our house works for us and to remind us of what life we're trying to live. We're up against a lot of pressure to buy things, displays near the cash register and end caps, showing sales and cool new products. But choose the dopamine that comes from the freedom to live the life you really want, not that immediate impulse spending decision. Two, lasting change requires doing the emotional work. The power of the KonMari method is that it's not about complicated systems and trying to impress your friends, but rather about choosing how you want to live your life. And as we declutter, as we create more space in our home, there is a lot of relief that comes with that. But there's also that next question of, oh crap, now what? How do I fill this emotional space with something that serves me? Do I need to fill this space? There's more things to consider, like, am I happy with how I spend my time and who is in my friend circle and what my career looks like? Make sure you ask these questions, that you make sure that you're not buying and adding clutter to your home or clutter to your life just to mute other issues that are going on. Three, money is hard to manage when it feels fragmented. Cassidy is not a money expert, but this was such a fantastic point that she brought up. When our money system is all over the place, it's easier to stick our heads in the sand, out of sight, out of mind, right? So instead, make a plan for how you'll deal with papers in your house, create a system that works for you, and get a weekly financial meeting on the calendar. You know here we call those money dates. If money feels overwhelming to you or you feel like you could level up, then join something like the Motivated Mama Society where you'll be surrounded by other women who are learning how to build wealth in a way that creates the lives they're dreaming up. But try to create an organized, simple system for your money that's easy to keep up with and tie that in with reminding yourself about that vision for your life so that every time you sit down to work on your money, you're not thinking about deprivation, you're not thinking about all the stressful things, but instead about how this practice, how this sitting down every week is bringing you closer to that life. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Cassidy again for coming on the show and sharing her expertise on how we can effectively organize and declutter our homes this spring. You can find links to Cassidy's website, CassidyNicello.com, and her social media profiles at SmartMoneyMamas.com forward slash 102. If you use any tips from today's episodes in your spring cleaning, be sure to tag us at SmartMoneyMamas on social media. I'd love to see how you're transforming your space. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time. <laughs>